We're going to go to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Probably not what you're thinking it's going to be. But now I preached this before about 25 years ago. I don't guess you'll think I'm wearing it out, would you? Okay. Matthew, now let me give you my title. The Son of Man. It's an important message. Amen. Not because it's mine, but because it's the Lord's message. Amen. Now, I'm not bragging, not boasting on this, but you'll hear more on this subject at one sitting than you have ever heard in your life, unless you've heard this before. Uh, I didn't get, that, get this out of some dollar sermon outline book. <coughs> Matthew 24 and verse 27 and Jesus says, For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tri tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, as you were saying this morning, brother, John said, there's an Antichrist coming. There's many of them, but there's one coming. That's what it says. This says the Son of Man is going to come with power and great glory. But three times in this passage, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. There's lots of names that, Je that is used of Jesus, and every one of them have great significance. And this one is of all least used. You hear people use the term Son of God? That's all right. But you seldom ever hear a preacher say, the Son of Man, unless they happen to read across it, and then they never refer back to it. It's kind of like, well, that was just an accident. So we won't pay any attention to that. I'm not sure why they don't do that. But it's probably because of the very reason that Jesus uses this term so much. He is the Son of God. Amen. But he is the Son of Man. And that's what we're going to talk about. And that is, well, I'll, a little ahead of myself, but there is at least 85, I think there's 86 references to the Son of Man in the New Testament. And there's just a handful of the Son of God that Jesus uses himself. So, that has to say something. How many times does God have to say something for it to be true? One. So if he uses this term that many times, then something ought to be said about it. And it's not. People either have a tendency to either deny, ignore, or minimize the humanity of Jesus Christ. Now understand, Jesus is God, but he is man. 
And old Brother Walker used to say, he's as much God as he is man, he's as much man as he is God. You don't hear that anymore. But you must understand that. Now the deity of Christ, that is his Godhood. Deity comes from the word Dels, God. So the deity, the divinity, the Godhood of Christ is of all doctrines vital to everything. But we must not think that we do Christ and his deity a favor by downplaying his humanity. You never help one doctrine by minimizing it and emphasizing another. No doctrine is like that. And we also ought not to try to make our doctrine fit dictionary terms not found in the Bible. Let's see what God says. Now, when you get on the subject of the humanity of Christ, the Son of Man, there are three words that many preachers will throw at you. Peckable, impeccable, and hypostatic. <clears throat> now, of course, impeccable is built off of peccable. From the Latin word picare to sin, impeccable says not able to sin. And hypostatic, now there are a few references in the New Testament to the Greek word hypostasis. And that's where the word hypostatic came from, but it didn't, wasn't used the way that it is used now. Anyway, those three terms, we'll deal with them. Now, I do not believe in any way that Jesus Christ ever sinned. Anybody says I believe that, they're a liar. I do not believe that Jesus Christ ever sinned. In his humanity, he came, and of course, there was a few people, not many. I'll tell you, I've seen them having Christmas parties and all that stuff, and not one word ever mentioned about Christ. And they talk about preaching the gospel in this time of year. Ain't many people going to sit and listen to it. They're having their celebration and that's their business. They want to do that. I can't tell you what to do and what not to do. I can just tell you what it is that you are doing. And uh, I don't, I haven't heard anything about the birth of Christ. There may be a few that will say something about it. But. That's not what all this celebration is about. Not, not, not at all. But, if you want to talk about the birth of Christ, well, he came into the, he was incarnated. God was manifest in the flesh. Amen. That's the great mystery. Paul talked about in, in uh, uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness. For God was manifest in the flesh. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, all of those people, Armstrongites, they want nothing to do with that. God was manifest in the flesh. And there he was born in a manger. And people will talk about a baby. But they want nothing to do with the man Christ Jesus. And what his whole work was. Now. Jesus was and is the sinless Son of God. Amen. The Lamb without spot and without blemish. But you nor I have a right to go beyond and make foolish assertions that end up denying that he was really human. And many Baptist preachers do that. Look at Hebrews 4. Oh, they, they get mad when you go there. Hebrews 4, and verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched 
with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Now that doesn't mean he had a trial. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And that is very important that you understand that. The term son of man, there's at least 85, I think probably 86 references in the New Testament to this term. Uh, all are used by Christ except a couple of them here in Acts. Stephen used it in Acts 7. Uh, the crowd used it in John 12. Uh so John reports it in Revelation 1 and Revelation 14. He reports what Jesus said. When you see Jesus in the book of the Revelation, you see that vision of Christ. He stands there and says he is the son. Look at Revelation 1. He is the son of man. And I don't know how the, all these fellows... Uh, miss that. Verse 13, the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like to the Son of Man, clothed uh, with a garment uh, down to the foot. The Son of Man. And you must go to John 5 to see why. Because John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 27, says that Jesus <coughs> became, was given the authority <coughs> to be the judge of the universe because he became the Son of Man. How do you miss that? Now, <coughs> This term, the Son of Man, is no doubt based out of Daniel. I don't want to turn you ever which way here, but Daniel 7. Verse 13. Well, let's read 9, verse 9, chapter 7. And I beheld till the thrones were cast down. And the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the, fi uh, fire, uh, like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him, before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, the judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they had their dominion taken away, <coughs> yet their lives were prolonged for a season. And time I saw in the night visions, <coughs> and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. That's where that term Son of Man came from. I'm sure it is. Anyway, We've got other prophecies that speak of him. Uh, Isaiah 19. He comes with clouds. Matthew says that also. We read Matthew 24 and verse 30. It said, And he shall appear, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they, uh, they shall see the Son of Man coming. And the clouds of heaven... With power and great glory. How did Christ ascend, leave? The clouds received him. And we 
might know this. The Jews came to know the Messiah as Anani, the cloudy one, or Bar Nibli, the son of a cloud. And that's who he is. He comes with clouds. He left with the clouds in power and in great glory. He's conducted to the throne of God in clouds. And his universal and eternal kingdom is given uh, given to him. Not just a spiritual kingdom. A literal kingdom also. The four creatures, I don't have time to get into all that, but there's indicates a real, visible, physical kingdoms, and they are destroyed and replaced by the same kind. In essence, real. When you see that vision in Daniel that he interprets, that dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and that image of that man, the head of gold, and so on to the feet and iron and, uh, and toes of iron and uh, uh, clay, until that rock cut out of a mountain, not with hands. Till it came and it rolled over on that image. That image was not a spiritual image. That image was of physical, literal kingdoms. Amen. You symbolic dudes. And that literal rock did not destroy spiritual kingdoms. It destroyed physical, literal kingdoms. And that's the kind of kingdom it is. Physical, literal. Amen. Not symbolic. Anyway, but this is the Son of Man. And this is who we're talking about. Jesus' abundant, consistent, and insistent uses of this term. And he uses it more than any other. Now, this is the Messiah. I'm not going to get into all of this. I don't have time. But he is the anointed one. But he is the son of man. The first reference. Matthew's gospel. Chapter 8. In verse 20, and Jesus saith unto him, the foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. The who? The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. That's the first reference, but there are 85 more of these in the New Testament. Now, he is the Son of Man. Always the son of man, never son of the man. Get the difference? All right, that's, that's going to be important here a little bit later. You never can, you cannot confuse that. He's the son of man. He's not the man of the son, the, the, uh, the man. Uh, he's not... Son of a man. Therefore, every single time he uses the term the Son of Man, he is teaching his humanity. So, how important is this? A lot of preachers don't think it's very important, and they just kind of. Flip it away. Well, look at First John four. Brother Derek has already read that today. First John four. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. 
because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Now this is John writing. And if you listen to all of the teachers, they'll tell you that the gospel of John is the gospel that that champions the deity of Christ over Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Isn't that right? And that's, that's what they say. And he does champion the doctrine of the deity of Christ. But this is the same man. He not only champions the doctrine of the deity of Christ, he absolutely lays down the law on the humanity of Christ because he says anybody that, that, that comes and confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Amen. That would mean they are saved, born again, heaven bound people. Amen. <coughs> and contrasting, Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Now you've got two people here, of God and not of God. You've got saved people and you've got lost hell bound people. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So real quickly turn over to 2 John. Look at verse 6 for all of these antinomians, these law-haters. This is love that we walk after his commandments. Now can you by some remote stretch include the Ten Commandments in there? I can. <clears throat> this is a commandment that as you've heard from the beginning that you should walk in it because many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Deniers of the humanity of Christ. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth, and abides not in the doctrine of Christ, has not God. What is the doctrine of Christ? It is the doctrine of who Christ is. You could probably include there the doctrine that he teaches, but he teaches that. He that abideth in the doctrine of God, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine... Receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now those are warnings that come from John, the apostle, who champions the deity of Christ. But nobody puts any more serious warnings in there over the denial of the humanity of Christ than John. So I'm going to say this, to deny the deity of Christ is to be lost. No saved person denies that Jesus Christ is God. But to deny the humanity of Christ is to be a deceiver and an antichrist.
I'm giving you scripture. Now, this is that great mystery. Look at First uh, Timothy real quick, three sixteen. I'm in 2 Timothy. First Timothy 3. Timothy 3. I'm going to read 15, but 16 is 1. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. This is the mystery of godliness that God was manifested in the flesh. Important doctrine, folks. We've got two Adams in the Bible. You've got the first Adam and the second Adam, or the last Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, the last Adam. Genesis, the first Adam. Now let me tell you that both of them were born miraculously. Amen. Both of them were. Now the Mormons say that Adam is God. That's their heresy, perversion, twisted teaching. Adam was not God. Matter of fact, their doctrine, they say Adam is the only God with which we have to do. No, no, he wasn't God. But Adam was made by direct creation of God. Amen. If you remember that in the six days of creation, he told the earth to bring forth life. He told the waters to bring forth life. But God said, let us make man in our image. So he made Adam from the dust of the earth. That's why we go back to dust. And there ain't a person in the world that can deny that that's where we go. And that's why we go. That's where we came from. So Adam, number one, was born by miraculous Creation of God. Well, what about the last Adam? Yes, he was. Did not the Bible say to, the, the uh, angel say to Mary, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee? And he was born of a virgin. Amen. Or conceived of a virgin. That's why he is not the son of the man. Amen. That's right. He's the son of man, but he's not the son of the man. Now, Adam number one had a free will. And he exercised that free will by sinning against God. Adam number one was he compelled to do that? Or did he choose to sin of his own volition, his own will? He most certainly did. So there Adam, who was placed under the law, God put him under law. You can eat of every tree except the one in the midst of the garden. And the day you eat, thou shalt surely die. 
Uh, and what does God say later on? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. die? Well, consistent, isn't it? Adam exercises with people say, ah, oh, man's got a free will. No, he doesn't. His free will is controlled by his depraved nature. Nobody makes him choose sin. He chooses it on his own, just like Adam number one did. But now Adam number two, the last Adam, he was born miraculously by the, by the direct creation power of God. And he himself, as Galatians says, he was in the fullness of the time. God sent forth his son, made of a woman born under the law that he might redeem them that were under the law. Jesus Christ not only came to pay the sin debt for all of the sins of all of his people, he came to earn perfect righteousness for them under the law, the Ten Commandments. Because God's law has to be kept if you haven't kept it, you're going to die and go to hell. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Sin is the transgression of the law. These You cannot deny these scriptures. But Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, came that he might succeed where the first Adam miserably failed. Well, he earned a perfect righteousness. Amen. Now, here's what people try to say. Well, he was God. He couldn't sin. By that statement, you completely destroy the humanity of Christ. Now, remember what John said about that. To deny that he came in the flesh is to be a deceiver and an antichrist. And if you say that, that's where you are. Now, God did not come to see if he could keep the law. You can't even talk about that. You can't separate God from his law and you sure can't make something unholy out of God. But Jesus Christ became a man under the law of God. And so he had to keep the whole law from the beginning to the end. Adam, number one, he plunged the whole human race into darkness and depravity. But Adam, number two, the last Adam, he did what Adam, number one, did not do. He said, well, he was God, he couldn't sin, you see. You've got to stay away from that. The reason that Jesus Christ did not sin is because he chose to not sin. Oh, well, you can't tempt God. But you can tempt a man. Amen. And Hebrews 4.15 says, He was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Amen. Now Adam 1 was created innocent without sin. <clears throat> and there was no depravity, no memory of sin. And yet for unknown causes he willfully sinned and became depraved. Now his lust leads him into more and greater sin and degradation. And so every child of Adam and all human beings are are depraved, lost sinners. But Adam number two, he was created without sin. Made without sin. But Romans 8.3, he condemned sin 
in the flesh. Amen. Not in the spirit. Not in his deity. He condemned sin in the flesh. Romans 8, 3. How did he condemn sin in the flesh? By keeping the law every jot and every tittle. Matthew 4, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus up to the desert to be tempted of Satan. Well, do you know what the word Satan means? The tempter. Now, a lot of these commentaries know, and I've heard preachers say it, oh, he was just testing him. No! Satan was not testing Jesus. Satan was tempting Jesus. You've heard me say this before. <coughs> the first temptation. Jesus was 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. The ultimate limit of human endurance. Yes, Jesus grew weary. Yes, Jesus hungered. Yes, he thirsted. All of the things a human being can do, he did. But he was he was hungry up to the nth degree. And that's when Satan came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, now I've heard all kinds of statements about that, but never the right one. If thou be the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Then I've heard him say, oh, well, if he had done that, he'd been misusing his gifts, misusing his power. No, it goes much deeper than that. If Jesus had turned those stones into bread to satisfy his hunger, he would have failed as the Son of Man. And we would have no way into heaven. Because you can't get into heaven without perfect righteousness, folks. Even if he died for your sins, you still got to have perfect righteousness to get into heaven. Amen. And that's exactly what Satan was doing. Trying to tempt him to move himself out of being the son of man. But Jesus answered him as the son of man. Christ was tempted in all points like as we are. Don't ever forget the last part. Amen. Yet without sin. Amen. Now, we're tested to the uh, ultimate extreme of human weakness. And he overcame. And the question comes up. Could he have succumbed? Of course. Oh, well, you can't. You're saying that you're saying he's not God. I didn't say that. I said he was truly man. And if there was no way that he could be succumb to the temptation of Satan, then he was not tempted in all points like as we are. Didn't say that he did. I'm saying emphatically he did not succumb. But I'm telling you that every time Jesus Chose to not sin. Amen. It was never that he was God and couldn't sin. Yet without sin. Now. Part of this consideration. Would be to go to the kinsman redeemer. Because Jesus Christ as we see that in the book of Ruth. That Jesus Christ 
is our kinsman redeemer. He had to become a man. He had to become human. I heard a preacher at a conference in one of our churches. He stood in the pulpit and he said, Jesus was not a man like we are. I was sitting right down front in that crowd and I said, that's heresy. You'd be amazed at how many amens he had already got. Better know what you're amening before you amen it. Jesus was a human being as we are. Now here's the difference. Jesus was just like Adam was before the fall. Adam was not compelled to sin. Adam had no memory of sin. Adam had no taint of sin. Adam was completely free to make a decision to sin or not to sin. And when he exercised that will, he chose to sin, and he never had a free will after that. And neither do any of us. We are sinners by nature, by choice, and by practice. And if God doesn't intervene, do a work of grace in us, that's the way we'll die and be throughout all eternity. Now, quickly look at Colossians 2. In verse 8, Paul says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Beware lest any man spoil you through that ungodly philosophy. And philosophy is ungodly. You may find a little bit of truth in some of them somewhere, but they all go down a blind alley. Now, some of the old heresies of the early churches back in the 4th and 5th centuries, there was one called Gnosticism. came from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge. They, they knew that knowledge was where it was at. That's, that's what they, they praised, knowledge. But you know what they said? The same thing that the Jehovah's Falls Witnesses say today. That Jesus was not the only begotten Son of God. He was one of many creations of God. They were called demiurges. And as you go all the way down to earth, he's just one of many. No. He's the only one. Amen. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. Then you had the docetics. Dokeo, the Greek word. To seem to be. That's what that means. They said that Jesus. Just appeared to be. He wasn't really. What did that preacher say at that conference? Jesus was not a man like we are. I think he's skirting around all that isn't he? Well. There's the Gnostics and the Docetics. That's kind of where. Muhammad got his doctrine about Jesus. And then there was the Nestorian controversy. I've heard independent Baptist preachers rail at Nestorius and praise the one that he was arguing with. I don't know anything about any of them after this one issue. But in the year 431... At the Council of Ephesus, you've heard me talk about the Council of Ephesus before, because that's where they came up with Mariolatry. That's where the worship of Mary, the mother of God, came from. That's right exactly where it came from. Now this guy named Nestorius, he was from up that way. And then there was a Cyril from Alexandria, Egypt. And he was a warmonger as well as a so-called theologian. 
But Cyril of Alexandria said, Jesus was God. Mary was the mother of Jesus. Therefore, Mary must be the mother of God. And his Greek terminology was Theotokos. Theo meaning God, Tokos, bearer. Mary was the bearer of God. Nestorius said, oh no. Mary was the mother of the man, Jesus, but not the mother of God. Now, which one would you take up for in that, in that argument? And what would you do if you heard independent Baptist bad-mouthing Nestorius and praising the other one? I'd have to back off of him, I'll tell you that. I don't think, he either doesn't know what he's talking about or he's a heretic himself. Anyway, so Mary was not the mother of God. But do you know what the Roman Catholic Church, hundreds of billions all over the world, do you know what they say? Holy Mary, mother of God. Where did that come from? That came from Cyril of Alexandria at the Council of Ephesus. That's when they enthroned so-called Mary as the queen of heaven, the mother of God. And that's who they pray to. Every time they pray, Holy Mary, Mother of God. If you know a Catholic, you've ever heard them pray, that's what they say. That's heresy. Amen. Mary was a sinner saved by the grace of God just as we are. Yes, she was blessed that God chose her to bear the man Christ Jesus. But not the mother of God. The son of man is truly and completely human. Yes, he's divine, but he's also human. Two natures in one. Well, I mentioned that word hypostatic to you a while ago. Now that word, it, like I said, it is in the New Testament, but it doesn't mean about every time it's used, it's confidence. Standing under. Being firm. That's what it means. But this fellow named Apollinarius, he picked up that term, and that's how he explained Jesus and his two natures. That there's a hypostatic union. Well, let me tell you what. There ain't no such thing as a hypostatic union. But I hear Baptist preachers explain all the hypostatic union. Sounds smart, but it's certainly not scriptural. And what that thing says was that there's two in Jesus, yet one. He's man and he's God. I got no other explanation for it, but I got to maintain the two, two natures. And then that word impeccable. By the very word itself. It denies the humanity of Christ. Because it says he was not able to sin. He was tempted in all points. Like as we are. Yet without sin. I'll close with this. Some say that he was not susceptible to change. When I do, I do admit that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. I admit that. There's not even any shadow of turning with him. But now with reference to Christ, look at the book of Hebrews real quick. Chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, 
he also himself likewise took part of the same. That's pretty plain, isn't it? That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Well, let's look at another one. Uh, in chapter 5. Verse 8, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. So he can't change? I believe I read where he grew in wisdom and stature a couple of times in Luke. Uh, let's see here. Chapter 5 and verse, well I read 9, verse 9. Uh, chapter 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and cows, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Uh, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so the book of Hebrews is just replete with the humanity of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, to fight this is to at least diminish his humanity, and we don't want to do that. He grew in wisdom and stature. And he did all that that he might overcome And he's an overcomer. Amen. Everything that Adam didn't, he did. And in Christ, not only we have redemption, we sang about it a while ago, we have redemption, forgiveness of all of our sins, eternal redemption. But we also have perfect righteousness Amen. imputed from Christ that which he earned during his public ministry, his humanity.